Welcome to Pushback. I'm Aaron Maté. Those of us on the left who have been critical of Russiagate have long warned that it will be used to attack progressives and progressive values. In the U.S., we've seen that with attempts to tie Bernie Sanders, Jill Stein, Tulsi Gabbard, and other dissident voices to Russian influence. And now in Britain, we are seeing perhaps one of the most blatant cases of Russia baiting to date. Just days before British elections, the UK's military intelligence apparatus is smearing Labour leader Jeremy Corbyn with evidence-free Russiagate allegations. This latest attempt began after Corbyn publicized leaked documents exposing secret talks between Britain's Conservative government and the US to privatize Britain's National Health Service, the NHS, as part of the Brexit deal. The revelation undermined the claim of Prime Minister Boris Johnson, who was Corbyn's opponent in the election, that the NHS was not up for negotiation. We've now got evidence that under Boris Johnson, the NHS is on the table and will be up for sale. The US is demanding that our NHS is on the table in negotiations for a toxic deal. It's already being talked about in secret. That could lead to runaway privatisation of our health service. Mega corporations see Johnson's alliance with Trump as a chance to make billions from the illness and sickness of people in this country. No one has challenged the authenticity of the documents Corbyn exposed. Instead, the British government and its allies are turning to a familiar tactic, blaming Russia. Within days, a series of news reports on both sides of the Atlantic told audiences that the leaked documents were likely part of a Russian disinformation effort. The social media site Reddit, where the documents first appeared, made the same allegation. But buried in all these stories was a caveat. There is no actual evidence of Russian government involvement. And although these allegations were said to have come from, quote, independent researchers, also hidden from these audiences, is that these researchers are anything but independent. The main expert cited here, Ben Nemo, is funded by governments, including the US and the British Tory government. Nemo's firm, Grafica, works with the Pentagon and the US Senate Intelligence Committee. Nemo also works as a senior fellow at the Digital Forensic Research Lab at the Atlantic Council, NATO's unofficial think tank in Washington. The British government is among the Atlantic Council's biggest donors. This Russia baiting against Corbyn comes as the Labour leader also faces an ongoing campaign to smear him with fake charges of anti-Semitism. Reported isolated incidents of anti-Semitism by members of Corbyn's Labour Party have been used by cynical opponents to manufacture a so-called anti-Semitism crisis that supposedly afflicts his entire movement. In reality, that allegation serves the same purpose as the Russia allegations, to taint a progressive leader and lifelong anti-racist who has a strong chance of becoming Britain's next prime minister. Well, to discuss all this, I spoke recently to Max Blumenthal, editor of The Grey Zone and author of The Management of Savagery. Max and our colleague Ben Norton have a new piece up at The Grey Zone, breaking all of this down. It's called U.S. and U.K. Military Intelligence Apparatus Campaigns to Destroy Jeremy Corbyn. Max Blumenthal, welcome to Pushback. You've been warning for a long time that Russiagate, that a central purpose of it was to attack the left. This 
so-called controversy now with Jeremy Corbyn and the leaked NHS documents seems to be one of the starkest illustrations of that to date. Your thoughts? Well, I've been warning, and I think you have, since maybe 2016, early 2017, um, when it became clear that the national security state was using corporate media uh, to sell the public on the Russiagate narrative, which began with kind of Trump-Russia collusion, but behind it also had this kind of um, basis that, you know, that Russian bots were influencing issues in the U.S. and uh, interfering with the centrist consensus. Um, I, I would warn that Russiagate would eventually be turned on the left and it wouldn't die with Trump. Trump was just sort of a trial run. And, you know, I, I knew that because being, you know, a lefty journalist and having it be used against me, I, I, saw, I saw it firsthand but I knew that it would be used against higher profile figures. Um, Jeremy Corbyn, of course, was the, was the easiest target for the national security state or the most delicious target for them because he has really been an authentic leftist. He's actually a true anti-imperialist, unlike Bernie Sanders, um, who's more of a sort of social democrat in the US context, who's very much stayed away from foreign policy issues. And so now we're seeing the kind of fulfillment of that campaign um, as Jeremy Corbyn and as the UK heads to the polls and Jeremy Corbyn threatens to replace Boris Johnson and put an authentic leftist uh, in the prime minister's office in the UK, um, maybe for the first time. So you have the national security state in a frenzy and they have been really since 2017, uh, since Corbyn uh, th you know, nearly threatened to oust uh, Theresa May and was succeeding as labor leader, defying the mainstream press's predictions in the UK. Um, so that, you know, these former intelligence officers, former military officials, and the current intelligence apparatus of the MI5, along with the US, uh, where Mike Pompeo, former CIA director, current Secretary of State, has vowed to push back against Corbyn, um, have been doing just that. Um, using the corporate media to wage an intelligence coup against Corbyn. So let's talk about the source for this claim that all of this is the work of a Russian intelligence operation. When the Telegraph uh, of London first reported this, I believe they were the first major newspaper to report the allegation that, uh, that Russia was believed to be behind this. They said that this attribution was made by independent researchers. Then they go on to explain who those so-called independent researchers are. It's uh, researchers with the Atlantic Council and a firm called Graphica. Explain to us who the Atlantic Council is and why their researchers might not be so independent. Yeah, uh, the Atlantic Council is far from independent. It's actually sort of a cutout for NATO. It functions as NATO's unofficial think tank in Washington. And of course, NATO itself is panicking about Jeremy Corbyn's rise. It's panicking about Brexit. It's panicking about the whole collapse of this permanent war alliance as NATO really struggles to maintain its relevance. But the Atlantic Council is also funded by uh, the Ukrainian government through entities like Burisma, the corruption-stained oil company, which is at the center of the whole scandal around the Biden campaign. It's funded by the Gulf states from Saudi Arabia to Bahrain. 
uh, to Qatar. It's funded. It's been funded by Turkey in the past. Um, I think Saad Hariri's sister, uh, the you know corrupt Lebanese prime min- uh, former prime minister, is uh, is funding it. Uh, the arms industry is funding it. The oil and gas industry is funding it. Corporate America, Wall Street is funding it. So all of these interests that are extremely hostile to everything that Jeremy Corbyn represents have created this multi-million dollar Potemkin village in Washington. And the Atlantic Council, as Russiagate started to gather steam, created what's known as, first of all, the Atlantic Council gathered all of the disinformation warriors, um, all of these hacks who play the role of journalists uh, while sort of operating in the shadows as you know operatives of the NATO agenda, they gathered them all under their umbrella as sort of non-resident experts or experts. And then they created the D- Digital Forensic Research Lab, um, which is the real nexus or the, the central node of this disinformation campaign, which seeks to kind of purge different social media platforms of what they call uh, malign foreign actors and co- uh, you know coordinated uh, in- inauthentic campaigns. And one of the key figures at the Digital Forensic Research Lab was Ben Nimmo, someone with, who actually has a negligible journalistic background. I think he w- wrote for a fishing publication or like a airplane trade publication. I don't know. But he was before that, a NATO press officer. And he becomes their key researcher in seeking to f- uh, point the finger at Russian bots and filch them out of the internet. And Facebook is wrangled into this, um, and they start doing all of these mass takedowns of everything that Ben Nimmo identifies as you know, Russian bots or coordinated inauthentic activity from Russia or Iran or Venezuela, whoever the designated enemy is. Ben Nimmo makes a lot of mistakes, however, he points the finger at an account on Twitter, Ian45678, uh, who turns out to be a British pensioner and calls him a Russian bot. And then he points the finger at Vale Sitsa, who is a renowned Ukrainian concert pianist who uh, does not take the Ukrainian nationalist line. She's heavily critical of the government in Kiev. And so Ben Nimmo calls her a Russian bot. She turns out to be a real person. Ben Nimmo is constantly discrediting himself. Then he somehow gets kicked upstairs to a new cutout called Grafica. Grafica is identified in The Guardian, The Telegraph, better known as The Tory Graph, and every other publication covering this bogus scandal as a uh, you know, legitimate kind of research site. But if you look closer at Grafica's website, you'll see that they're funded by DARPA, the research arm of the Pentagon, and the Minerva Institute, which is the think tank funded by the Pentagon. So they're basically a US military cutout headed by Ben Nimmo. And what Ben Nimmo is saying, Ben Nimmo, who comes out of the Atlantic Council, who comes out of Grafica, who also was a consultant for the Institute for Statecraft, which was behind the Integrity Initiative, which we've talked about before, was basically a covert propaganda farm uh, run by British military intelligence officers seeking to gin up a new Cold War in the UK. Ben Nimmo declares that Jeremy Corbyn's kind of closing attack on Boris Johnson points to Russia. 
that Russia was actually responsible. Russian intelligence was responsible for leaking these documents to Jeremy Corbyn, which have done great damage to Boris Johnson. So what were these documents? They show that Boris Johnson has been in communication with big pharma in the US, the pharmaceutical industry, to discuss ways of privatizing the NHS. So big pharma, those great people responsible for the opioid crisis and untold excess deaths in this country, uh, could take over uh, one of the most important institutions that's keeping so many British people alive today. It should be a gigantic scandal, it is. And while Ben Nimmo and the Pentagon cutout Graphica and the Atlantic Council do not question the authenticity of these documents, what they've sought to do is to change the conversation to make everyone talk about whether the documents that they're reading are themselves Russian fabrications. And if Jeremy Corbyn is somehow in some sly way coordinating with Russia. Now, finally, you have this whole phony narrative, which was rolled out through the usual corporate media entities being validated by Reddit, uh, what, which was once one of the most free um, social media platforms, but which is now really being domesticated by the national security state through cutouts like the Atlantic Council. The um, Reddit released a statement declaring that they believe that the documents were placed on their platform by Russian actors. Uh, they provided no evidence for that except a sourcing to the Atlantic Council. And it is important to note that the director of policy for Reddit is the former deputy director of Middle East strategy for the Atlantic Council, uh, Julia Shu, who also happens to be a former official for the Foreign Ministry of the United Arab Emirates, uh, if you want to talk about foreign meddling. Um, and this is someone who wrote in 2016 that Donald Trump was the American version of the ISIS caliph and that both had to be taken out. And her problem with Donald Trump was that he was playing on grievances against the status quo and the elite. So that same narrative could be applied to someone like Jeremy Corbyn or even Bernie Sanders. But the point here, Aaron, is that this entire campaign is being used to undermine what should be on the minds of every British citizen, which is how the Boris Johnson wants to privatize the public health system that's keeping them alive. And they're doing it with Russiagate. Uh, this is just, I mean, it, it should it should shock anyone who cares about public health care that this kind of narrative could be used to undermine uh, such an important closing argument by Corbyn. Let me play a clip of Ben Nemo uh, speaking to the media because, again, he's often portrayed as an expert without the extent of his his funding fully disclosed. And it's amazing. When we talk about NATO here, in this British context, we're talking specifically about uh, a NATO that includes the British government. And in fact, the British government is among the Atlantic Council's biggest founders. So basically, you have the Tory government being embarrassed by these documents, and then the Tory government itself funding the so-called independent researchers that are saying that all this is the work of Russia. And by the way, on that front, Max, you missed one entity that also has close ties and is a partner of this firm, Graphica. It also is the Senate Intelligence Committee, in addition to those two uh, 
Well, there you go. And, and you know, the Senate Intelligence Committee has two uh, CIA officers, one for the Democratic side and one for the Republican side, uh, present throughout its hearings. So what is the Senate Intelligence Committee? Exactly. So let's hear Ben Nemo here talking about uh, his attribution of this leak to Russia. The big question is how did the leaks get there in the first place? What was the train that led those leaks from an internal UK <clears throat> collection out onto the internet, whether it was somebody handing over documents, whether it was a hack and a leak, we just don't know. But those are the kind of questions that really need to be asked internally within the UK government. So that's Ben Nemo uh, speaking to Sky News, and he's listed there as an information expert. Uh, the fact that he's that his his research is literally paid for by the British Tory government is not even mentioned. An example of how this works. And meanwhile, Max, you have this um, unprecedented campaign against. Jeremy Corbyn, where uh, you know U.S. Uh, where where uh, British intelligence officials, current and former, are trying to stop his campaign. Uh, there is a new uh, project out called Declassified U uh, UK by the British journalist uh, Matt Kennard, and he has a piece uh, that points out that officials in the UK military and intelligence establishment have been sources for at least 34 major national media stories that cast Jeremy Corbyn as a danger to British security. Yeah, I don't have much to add to that. I mean, I think that anyone watching should just just take a moment and digest that. 36, it's not that there are just 36 stories or 36 uh, bogus experts who come from the British national security state. It's that 36 scandals or media scandals, which are actually pseudo-scandals, are sourced entirely to current or former officials of the national security state, often anonymously, but also under their own names. And so we couldn't have a clear indication of the coup being waged against Jeremy Corbyn from inside the British national security state. It is precisely what was described in the fiction or science fiction novel, A Very British Coup by Chris Mullen, which was published in the nineteen in, in, in the late seventies and turned into a British uh, miniseries, and you know in this fictional narrative, uh, socialist prime minister is elected. He proceeds to nationalize industries, gathers enormous public support, um, begins denuclearizing Britain, advocating peace treaties with the Soviet Union, as most Brits want or wanted and becomes the victim of a coup waged by the MI5 intelligence services using uh, gray and black propaganda uh, pumped out through corporate media. This is exactly what's happening right now to prevent Corbyn uh, from entering office, not to mention the whole phony uh, anti-Semitism uh, witch hunt being waged from within and without labor against Corbyn's wing of labor by the pro-Israel lobby. And there's such an obvious overlap between the Israel lobby and the British national security state. You also have the UK's relationship Gulf states and Saudi Arabia, where the UK is a key supplier of the Saudi war and on uh, Yemen. And Corbyn obviously is going to roll that back. Corbyn's constantly attacked for saying, you know, uh, once that he re referred to our friends in Hezbollah and Hamas during a sort of formal introduction in the parliament. I think that's been mentioned over a thousand times hundreds of times at least 
in British media, but it's never treated as a scandal when Boris Johnson or any other um, British leader hands forks over through BAE systems uh, tons and tons of weapons to the Saudi military. Um, someone who's been attacking Jeremy Corbyn, who's uh, sort of a, a defense correspondent, Khan Coughlin. This is a guy who participated in seminars funded by the Bahraini embassy and then and then wrote uh, basically the um, what amounted to propaganda for Bahrain at a time when it was um, slaughtering its Shia population rising up in the streets. So the, the, the whole British establishment has been overrun by the national security state and Jeremy Corbyn stands against it. But what the national security state and the establishment don't have and which what Corbyn does have is the people. So this is really about the people against the national security state. And it's what we're in many ways facing in this country. It's just that many people on the left can't see it because the national security state has aligned itself against a far right president who was elected. Yeah, and I think it's important to uh, bring up the parallel to Russiagate here. What's going on at Corbyn is similar to what we're seeing uh, with Russiagate in the U.S. And we can talk more about actually how this might play out with Bernie Sanders. Uh, you've, we've already seen this play out with Tulsi Gabbard, her being accused by Hillary Clinton of being a Russian asset. But let me just read you one more headline today. This is from The Sun, a British tabloid. From, uh, j just from this weekend, it says, ex-British intelligence officers say Jeremy Corbyn is at the center of a hard left extremist network. So it's, you know, they're not even doing it subtly. It's just a blatant campaign of, uh, a, a blatant smear campaign against Corbyn. And I think it's important not to separate that from the anti-Semitism, the fake anti-Semitism controversy that you mentioned. Before we get to Bernie Sanders and the US, let, let's talk more about that, Max, because this has been a huge controversy uh, people around the world constantly told that there's an anti-Semitism crisis inside the Labour Party, that Jeremy Corbyn has been blind to it. You have many people uh, on the left, progressives with prominent platforms, going along with it. Um, let's talk about it. Let's talk about also about the role of the Guardian newspaper in this, because the Guardian is seen around the world as being progressive and liberal and uh, open to leftist voices. But actually, they've been, uh, played a pretty key role in this whole thing. Yeah, well, there's a lot to chew on there. Uh, the the anti-Semitism witch hunt. Uh, it, you, first of all, if you call it a witch hunt, you will be drummed out of Labour, as Chris Williamson was. And what Chris Williamson, who is a socialist member of Parliament from Labour, who is now running as an independent because he was suspended and ejected from Labour, what he did is what Corbyn should have done from day one and what Corbyn failed to do, which is to call this a complete witch hunt that's totally phony, that is being ginned up by the Israel lobby because Corbyn has addressed Palestinians as human beings and advocated for their rights. And I was hosted by Jeremy Corbyn in parliament at Portcullis House um, in 2015. Corbyn was known for kind of hosting advocates, uh, you know, journalists and activists who advocated for Palestine um, to speak to the public, to give them a platform. At the time, he was a backbencher. I'd never heard of him. Um, the talk went very well. Um, and I, he wasn't on site. So his staff gave me uh, a tour of Westminster. And then as Corbyn started to rise as, you know, labor leader, the Daily Mail attacked him for hosting me and 
made up this complete lie that a Holocaust denier had introduced me. Um, just just the, the phoniest garbage I'd ever seen. And I went to Corbin's staff and I said, you know, let, how do we respond to this? I would like to respond to this and to address this lie that a Holocaust introduce, uh, a denier introduced me and that I am an anti-Semite. Uh, the person who wrote this is a Gentile. I'm Jewish. This is insane. And they said, don't worry about it. Max, uh, we've got it under control. The best thing to do is not respond to this because, you know, the public will see it for what it is. And so in some respects, the public has seen it for what it was because it rewarded Corbyn at the polls and labor at the polls in 2017. But at the same time, he hasn't responded strongly enough. And, you know, if you give the Israel lobby one inch as momentum and Owen Jones want Corbyn to do and acknowledge that there's this real problem in labor, that there it's filled with anti-Semites, um, while Boris Johnson is running around demonizing Muslims and saying, you know, Muslim women who cover look like mailboxes or whatever, uh, and gets no scrutiny in the media, in the media for that. Uh, you know, you, if you give them one inch, they take a mile and they've taken a mile. They've taken out any member of labor who dares to even call this what it is. And, and that really does remind me of the original witch hunts where you know, if you actually float when they try to drown you, you're a witch. So then you have to be burned at the stake. Um, there's no way to win except to take this on head on. Uh, British voters will have to decide. But then you have on top of that the Russiagate narrative. They're throwing everything they can at Corbyn to see what works. But again, it's an elite narrative that doesn't really speak to the real concerns of the British public, which is you know, really kitchen table concerns and war and peace most brits want yeah and it shows that that all they have left then is fear-mongering and weaponizing identity in the case of corbin trying to manufacture weaponizing us yeah they're weaponizing us they're using us jews as a human shield to prevent progress i think that should be the most outrageous thing to any progressive jew in the world is that their identity their religion their faith community their history is being used to prevent an anti-racist from taking power. Well, speaking of progressive Jews, and also you mentioned before, giving an inch and taking a mile, Bernie Sanders, uh, he gave to the Hillary Clinton campaign after he lost. He campaigned for Hillary Clinton. He endorsed her. He took part at the convention in a very deliberate effort to uh, show some party unity and to get his supporters behind Hillary Clinton in 2016. But yet since then, Hillary Clinton has continued to attack him and say that, uh, he cost her votes because he didn't endorse her early enough and I guess didn't campaign for her uh, earlier enough. And this week she was at it again, speaking to Howard Stern. And on top of criticizing Bernie, she even also invoked the specter of Russia. If you read the indictments, you know, basically they were like, hey, let's do everything we can to elect Donald Trump. I mean, that's, those, those are quotes. Those are taken, words they Those said. are words yeah. that taken. And they also said Bernie Sanders, but, you know. That's another for another day. Do we day. hate Bernie Sanders? What? Do we hate Bernie Sanders? No, I don't hate anybody. Bernie could have endorsed you quicker. Uh, he could have. He hurt him. me. There's no doubt about it. He hurt me. So that's Hillary Clinton to Howard Stern, suggesting very strongly that the Russians tried to elect Bernie Sanders. Max, you've been warning for a while that, you know, after the smear attacks we saw on Tulsi Gabbard here by Hillary Clinton and her proxies, that Bernie Sanders was next. And I'm wondering your thoughts uh, after hearing this latest comment from Hillary Clinton. 
Well, well, first of all, I mean, Hillary Clinton's doing herself no favors by going on one of the trashiest, racist shock jocks in America who called for dropping chemical weapons across the Middle East after 9-11 in her like Battlestar Galactica suit, whining about Bernie Sanders and Russian hackers for the millionth time. Um, it just shows what a kind of social bubble she exists in and how she, little she interacts with regular people. But then she does proceed to suggest that Bernie Sanders is a Russian asset. And I would point to an interesting article published by um, a, a, a fairly one of the most unhinged characters uh, who I've ever come across in the media, Kurt Eichenwald, who was taken seriously and even hosted three times on Democracy Now! in 2016. And it was uh, after, I think, uh, it was after Hillary Clinton lost. And after opening his article by fantasizing about punching a Jill Stone, Stein voter in, in an airport, uh, Eichenwald talks about all of this oppo research, which had been forked over to him by dark elements within the Clinton campaign. And it contained what he described as enough material to take down Bernie Sanders. But because Hillary was so assured of victory in the primary, because Bernie was so nice to her and actually endorsed her and campaigned for her, because of all of that, they didn't deploy it. But Donald Trump, they believed, would have gotten a hold of it and would have used it against him. And what did Eichenwald describe? Well, he described first the trip Bernie Sanders took to Nicaragua, where he praised the Sandinistas and said that um, Ortega was doing a, a good job and was very impressive. And this is what many Americans did in the 1980s when it was fashionable on the left to do so. It's not so fashionable now that the Sandinistas have actually been in power. And, you know, many people on the left don't support leftist, fellow leftists once they get into power in Latin America. But at the time it was fashionable. He took a short trip there. Um, and there was also a trip to the Soviet Union that Bernie Sanders took at a time of detente when many liberals across the U.S. were traveling to the Soviet Union and meeting, um, you know, Soviet dissidents and liberals and cultural figures. And Bernie Sanders is seen singing at a table with Russians um, in this environment. It's completely different than the time when Reagan and Gorbachev signed the SALT II treaties. And so Eichenwald's implication was that Bernie Sanders was going to be painted as a friend of Latin socialist tyrants and uh, Russians, and that he was going to be painted as a Russian asset. And then we started to see that narrative bubble up in the uh, Mueller indictment, specifically around the um, St. Petersburg private troll farm, the Internet Research Agency, when um, buff Bernie coloring book calendars were hawked on inauthentic Russian-run Facebook pages targeting the LGBT Q community. Um, clearly, these calendars were a threat to American democracy, which showed uh, ripped Bernie Sanders. Uh, most, you know, normal, rational-minded people who have like a, more than more than the IQ of a grapefruit would see this as hilarious, as really funny. Like these pages reach no people, but it was a way of establishing that Bernie Sanders had some connection to Russian meddling and to the Russian agenda of shattering the centrist consensus and the status quo. 
And now we hear from Hillary Clinton's own mouth that those indictments provided proof that Bernie Sanders was being used as a device by Russia against her, the anointed destined queen of America. So she's providing, what she's doing is providing legitimacy to that narrative in expectation of a full frontal attack on Bernie Sanders by the national security state if he wins Iowa and begins to be seen as a legitimate contender, which he isn't quite yet. Since you mentioned Kurt Eichenwald on Democracy Now!, as uh, most people probably know, I was a longtime employee at Democracy Now!, and I've lamented its embrace of Russiagate and how it's been a part of what you talked about earlier, Max, how, uh, you know, so much of the progressive left has been co-opted by Russiagate. And I want to read a headline from one of Kurt Weick, one of Kurt Eichenwald's appearances on Democracy Now! Because I think it really captures, back in 2016, I think it really captures this dynamic we're talking about of so many people on the left being duped by this whole thing. And it was called, this is in September 2016, before Russiagate even really ramped up, but it was still uh, starting then. And it says, Kurt Eichenwald on how Trump organization's links to Russia could threaten U.S. security. That was on Democracy Now! of all places. It's, it's quite striking, and we're still li living that today. You know, um, I, uh, going back to Corbyn as we wrap, if he wins, Max, if, he's, if he manages to defeat this concerted smear campaign, uh, this fake anti-Semitism controversy, now this fake Russia controversy, what could that mean for the progressive cause, uh, not just in Britain, but around the world? Well, Jeremy Corbyn is, is the product of progressive grassroots organizing on a scale that we've never seen in the UK before, um, where he was a, a made labor leader by over 100,000 people joining labor to make him, to, to, to put him in the driver's seat. Um, and so he represents not just a charismatic figure, um, you know, he's been very effective but he's not, he's not the most charismatic figure. He represents the progressive grassroots of the UK. And it really shows the people against the national security state and the British elite. Um, and it will pose, it, it, it will have enormous repercussions across the Atlantic if Jeremy Corbyn wins. Uh, it will provide enormous momentum for Bernie Sanders. Um, it'll be wind in the sails for this whole movement that's uh, gravitated towards Sanders, particularly of young people who are saddled with debt and don't see a future in this neoliberal economy. And it will scare the life out of the same elements in the US that are working with these elite uh, permanent war state elements in the UK. So I guess I would say to all of the Sanders supporters out there, I don't know what's going to happen in the UK, but get ready because when you hear Bernie Sanders, when you see him introduce legislation to stop the US-UK-Saudi war on Yemen, uh, when you see him call for, uh, cr you know, cr criticize Trump's policies on ramping up conflict with Iran, when you see him refer to Palestinians as human beings, understand that he's not just running for president, he's running for the next target of a deep state coup. And that the greatest threat to whatever's left of democracy in the US is the unelected, opaque, 
national security state, which is currently waging a war against a far-right president that we all despise, who is nevertheless the representative of civilian authority in Donald Trump, and it will happen to Sanders. Meanwhile, back in the UK, if Corbyn wins, uh, they're not going to stop with him. They're going to do everything they can to dislodge and destroy him. So this is a protracted battle, um, and the goal is much bigger than just winning one election. Max Blumenthal, editor of The Gray Zone, author of The Management of Savagery. Thanks very much. Thanks a lot, Aaron.